Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 185. Today is our book club episode, and we're discussing Jacqueline Woodson's Red at the Bone. Be sure to join us on social media at Unabridged Pod. We are active on Instagram primarily and also on Facebook and Twitter. And we do have buddy read discussions every month on Instagram, and we also have book club discussions. So be on the lookout to sign up for those so that you can participate in the chat. We have a great time with those. And again, you can find us at Unabridged Pod. Today, before we get into our book club, we want to share our bookish check-in like we do every time. Jen, what's something you're reading? So I am reading Lee Bardugo's Rule of Wolves. And I was trying to think about how to talk about this one because it is the second in the King of Scars duology. And it is also the third series that Bardugo is writing in this Grishaverse. So spoilers abound. I think she is a great fantasy writer and I think she really excels at building up connections. So each of her three series focuses on a different group of characters, but they do interconnect. So it's really interesting to see the way as we look deeper at some of the characters who were in her earlier series, we understand them more. And I just really love the Shadow and Bone adaptation that was recently released on Netflix. And I think it did a great job of revealing those rich characters as well. So I can't talk a whole lot about the plot because it's going to spoil things from all of the series, but I will I really love the characters and the world that she has built. So that is Lee Bardugo's Rule of Wolves. I cannot wait to read those, Jen. I read the first series of hers and really enjoyed it. But for me, it was The Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, that duology that stole my heart. And I knew that I would read her other series after that. So, and I can't wait to watch the adaptation. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's really good. And I will say there is one character from Six of Crows from that duology who features prominently in this one. It alternates between three characters, one from the original trilogy, one from the Six of Crows duology, and then a new one. And so it's really oh, fun. Wow. Yeah. Just to see those continuations. That's yeah. That cool. sounds great. So, yeah. I read Six of Crows. Actually, I think that was one that Ashley recommended for one of our picks for each other in a year or two ago and I loved it but I haven't read Crooked Kingdom just because they're pretty long and I just haven't had a chance to get back to it but I love Six of Crows so I would like I know I would love Lee Bardugo's series but I just have not I've been really hesitant to start any series because of other reading commitments so absolutely right. especially ones like that where you want to hold the world in your yes. mind when you're mm -hmm. reading the books um, what are you reading now, Sarah? I am reading Joanne Tompkins' What Comes After. My In Real Life book club started back up in May. So we read a book for May and then we chose uh, What Comes After for the June read. And so that's what I'm reading. It is a story about two boys. One has been murdered and one has committed suicide. And 
It is this unraveling of a mystery around those deaths. And it's told from multi-perspectives. One perspective is, a, is the father of the boy who was murdered. One is this perspective of this kind of mysterious girl that had met the boys two weeks prior to their deaths. And it's told from her perspective. And then one perspective is the boy who committed suicide. Basically, it starts on the day of his death. He is kind of narrating some things that have happened and like flashing back because the two boys were best friends. So it is really compelling. It is written in a way that is really interesting. I think the author does some really interesting stuff with the narrative and I'm really enjoying it. It's heavy because there's just a lot of grief that the characters are dealing with, but I'm really enjoying it. And I'm very curious to see how it all culminates in the end. So that is Joanne Tompkins. What comes after? I have that one on hold at my library. So we'll see. We'll see if it comes in. If I get done with it, you can read my copy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really powerful, Sarah. Uh, heavy, I think it sounds like, but it, and it reminds me a little bit. Uh, Sarah and I both read Aiden Thomas's Lost in the Neverwoods. It sounds similar in the sense that there is grief at the core and also a bit of an unraveling of what happened to lead to that central moment. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that is a great comparison. And also there is like, yeah, because the the neighborhood, there are these woods that surround the neighborhood. And there's some there's some supernatural at work. Not like it's like very understated, but there is this feeling of otherness in the book, kind of like in the Neverwood. So yeah, that's an interesting there's way more magical realism in um the in Lost in the Neverwoods. But yeah, that's a great comparison. I didn't think about that, but yeah, that is a great comparison. Yeah, I have to say that after reading that one, I would be interested in reading this because there were a lot of that parts of that that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one too. Ashley, what are you reading right now? So this is one that I chose for, I'm a little bit behind on my reading challenge. So for the uncorked reading challenge that I'm doing this year, May was a book set in India. And I uh, I started it on May 31st. So I felt like I had still... <laughs> I just had to have some grace with myself about the time. And I was like, well, I'm starting it on the last day of the month, which counts for something. And then I've been listening to it. So I've been kind of dipping in and out. But this is Jhumpa Lahiri's Interpreter of Maladies. And I have wanted to read this forever. I really love her work. And some of it is set in America, but other parts are set in India. This is a series of short stories. And I think what I really love about Lahiri as a short story writer is that her work is so tightly woven and really beautiful and very moving. And so you have these, each story has a capsule view of these people's lives and the ways that the world around them is impacting them. And some of them are deeply personal. The opening story is a couple who live in America and it is about the loss of a child at pregnancy and then kind of the aftermath of that for the couple. But then the next story really looks at what it was like in America for families when the divide between India and Pakistan was happening. So there in America, the family is there and they have a, a family friend who is apart from his family who's still back in India and he comes with them all the time and it's it's the perspective of a child who is 
watching her family come to understand what's happening in the news and the way that those borders are being drawn and how that is reshaping the nationality of people. And so it's just really fascinating. And again, I haven't read all of it yet, but I think what I love and why it's working well for me right now is that each story stands alone, but there are some threads that tie the stories together in a really lovely way. So again, that's Jhumpa Lahiri's Interpreter of Maladies. I've wanted to read it forever and I'm really enjoying it. I read that a long time ago. And as you were talking, it was coming back to me, but I definitely, yeah, it, it's been a while. So that makes me want to reread it. Her work is beautiful. I love her work. Yeah. She's such a brilliant writer. She has a new one out this year. Where oh, I'll have to try that. That is on my list to read soon. Yeah. So she wrote it in Italian and then translated it herself to oh, English, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. She's a really interesting person. Well, we want to get into our book club discussion. We all have shared on the pod many times about how much we each admire Jacqueline Woodson. And so we were excited to share one of her books with you all and to talk about that for our book club. But we've talked before about a lot of her other works. We love using her work in the classroom. And one of the things that's amazing about her is that she has books for so many different audiences. And so we, I have picture books at home that I share with my girls. We've used them books like Harbor Me in the Classroom, which work really well with middle school and even high school age. And then today we're going to be discussing Red at the Bone. So here's a quick summary of this one. Jacqueline Woodson's Red at the Bone is a story about the connections between family and the way that those individual lives that make up a family do and don't intersect as they are impacted by opportunities and setbacks. Melody, the child of Iris and Aubrey, who was born when they were both teenagers, is at the center of this story. From her center, Woodson weaves a complex and beautiful tapestry of the lives of her parents and her grandparents as they move together through time and history. And as you can see from the summary, when I was thinking about what to say, it's a lot about character. And so there are events that happen and the events are significant, but a lot of what we'll be discussing today is what we see of each of those characters and I know Sarah can talk some about the audiobook. I dipped in and out of the audio, but I did love that they had different narrators for each of the characters' voices, and that was really impactful as a listening experience. So we're going to start off, like we always do for book club, with overall impressions. Sarah, what was your overall impression? Like Ashley said, I read this one or listened to this on audio, and so when I first started it, I felt a little unmoored because I, you kind of just start in the story and you don't really know where you are, what is happening. And I, I listened to the first chapter and I almost texted Ashley and Jen and said, I'm not sure about this book. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure about this book. I'm not enjoying <laughs> it at all. You know, I, I trust Jacqueline Woodson so much as an author. So I, I told myself that I needed to give it a, some a, a chance. And by the end, oh my gosh, I was just so moved by the way that she built, like Ashley said in the summary, this tapestry of this family and the way that the events that impact their life, the way that they were represented in throughout the book. I just wanted to sob at the end. Just It was just so powerful. And the way that she wove in like these things that were not only impactful in the lives of these characters, but as uh, for us as human beings of the world, like there were some things that I just, I was not anticipating. And I'm just really, I just really love the way that she showed each of these characters. And some of them are 
very complex and you get angry, especially Iris. I felt like I would, I get, I would get angry at Iris, but then also I think she does such a wonderful job of showing why Iris is the way she is, why she makes the choices that she does. And you don't, you don't hate her. You just, you get frustrated with her, but you also see that she is doing the very best that she can. And I just, and she's struggling with a lot of things that she's unable to share with other people. And I just think that I just loved it. And I just, when I finished it, it just made me realize how much I trust Jacqueline Woodson as an author, the way that she can write across age groups. It's just phenomenal. So I really, really loved it. But I did want to, to mention the fact that in the very beginning, I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't like grasp what was happening. And I, I was thought, I'm not going to enjoy this at all. But I, re you really have to give it you know, a little bit, like maybe a third into the book. And it's such a short book that a third is not that much time, but you get into it and then you start to see the way that things fit together. So, yeah, I think one of the things that I found unusual is that there, there are a lot of parts that are told by the characters. So the character is your narrator, but there's also that third person, omniscient, kind of a third person yeah. omniscient narrator for parts. And that I agree, Sarah, that when you're getting that kind of wide lens view of what's happening. It took a while. It, you you move from that into the individual characters seeing that moment. And then you get the grounding under your feet of who the people are and how they all fit together. And, and that's really lovely and how they view each other. I think we start to see that right away when we see Aubrey and him seeing Melody at the opening scene. And then also with just the different people viewing her and her dress and that special ceremony. So... What about you, Jen? What was your overall impression? So I really loved it. I will say it's funny because I had read this in 2019. So I was trying to remember what my very first reading experience was like. And I just can't remember if it took me a while to get my footing or not, because I did read it in print both times, which sometimes I think it's easier to feel like you have control of what you're reading. I don't know if that makes sense, but I really loved it both times. I will say different parts of it definitely resonated with me this time, which I know we're going to get to. But yeah, I just love that sense, just that sense of interconnectedness and the way there's this deep empathy for all of the characters. They are all flawed in some ways. They all make mistakes. Sometimes they're selfish, but we see the way they all connect and the way they all on some level love each other. And we really understand that by the end. And the fact that she can do that in such a brief book is just really amazing. It seems like a much longer book when you think about what you know and understand about the characters. And yet it is a slim little concise novel that just has that generational sense. It feels like one of those generational epics that I think we all love. And yet it's not even 300 pages. So yeah, again, Woodson just, it's amazing to me when authors can balance beautiful writing on the sentence level with just an amazing story and sense of character. And she is just, we'll just continue seeing Jacqueline Woodson's praises because she is a masterful writer. She is just brilliant. So yeah, I absolutely loved it the second time through. In some ways I was moved maybe more just because it's one of those books that are rereading. It, it is a rewarding experience because there are things that I noticed, little subtle touches that I hadn't picked up on the first time. So yeah, it was great. Ashley, how about you? Yeah, I would echo a lot of that. I absolutely found it rich and rewarding. And I 
really loved the examination of motherhood and Iris's character, who, like Sarah said, we feel so frustrated with for some of the time, and yet she paid this price for her having the child early on. She felt that her freedom had been taken from her, and yet I think we also see how she has, there's such a tension between her desire to be connected to her family and be grounded and her desire to pursue her own life and her own pathway. And I thought all of that was so well done. And like you said, Sarah, I mean, some of it was that she felt that she was having these experiences that she couldn't share with anyone and that she didn't want to name and didn't want to acknowledge to others in a way that would have perhaps helped her feel more free. And so I just thought all of that was really richly done. I just feel like I'm reliving it. I do feel like I need to re-listen, like re- read it because I, like I said, that beginning being a little bit grounded in the story. And then by the time, like it, there's just so much that happens. And I just yeah. feel like a reread, mm -hmm. especially since it's so short would be really yeah. beneficial. It's strange though, because so much happens and yet not much happens. So it's this weird balance because we were talking about earlier. Yeah. That there's not a ton of plot and yet there's so much encompassed in what happens in the story. Yeah. I don't know. It's brilliant. It's a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think I, just going back after I read it and looking at the opening scene again, it was really illuminating to see Melody in that moment in the dress and putting together all the pieces that had occurred throughout the story that brought them to that moment of celebrating her. I thought all of that was really rich. Okay, so let's talk about one specific thing that worked for us in the book. Um, Jen, what's something that worked for you? So one thing that I noticed a lot more on this reading was the way that class is addressed in the book. And I definitely noticed that the first time through. And so I knew from the beginning, so at the beginning, Melody is at the center of this coming of age ceremony. And in some ways, this is the shadow of what was intended for her mother. Her grandparents desperately wanted Iris to have this coming of age ceremony. They have this special dress made. And then because she was pregnant with Melody, she was never able to have it. So Melody is sort of living this out for her grandparents. And it is this very old fashioned kind of thing, but it's also deeply entwined with their class. This is an upper class family that has these expectations that you need to be introduced to society, that it's in some way an announcement of, I mean, if you go back to the tr original tradition, it's eligibility for marriage. And yeah, so there are all of these really fascinating things woven into the ceremony that begins the book. Then when you see Aubrey and realize what a different life he had growing up and the things that his mother dealt with, and you see this class distinction between them, I think that's really interesting the way Woodson deals with that throughout the book. And there's one chapter where Aubrey takes Melody back to where he grew up. And I marked the quotation. I know this is not the quotation section, but I want to just find it because Melody says something like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find the page, but Melody says something like, this feels like something that happened in the past. And Aubrey had quoted someone, someone had been killed who was in a gang and was dealing drugs. And there was a quotation on graffiti and it said sunsetted and Aubrey's like sunsetted. So it's this way that he has sort of changed 
his life around the class of Iris and of his daughter. And yet he is the one who it did not go to college because he stayed with his daughter. He is the one who is still sort of bridging these two worlds of upward mobility and yet not quite. And it's just really complex. And I think it's really fascinating to see the way he's never able to completely leave the class upbringing he had when he was a child. And yet he is because he's sort of adopted into this family. It's just, it's complex in the way it should be because none of these are easy things to talk about. And it's not something that Woodson is always articulating directly, but it's there underlying the whole thing that he is from a different kind of life than Iris. His mother is wonderful. I loved the character of his mother. I thought she was amazing. And yet you also see because she grew up in foster homes and because she grew up in the system and had to make some choices to keep them alive, the way that has impacted his whole life. And just that emphasis on the systemic nature of these things, I think is ever present even when it's not on the page. So I just really loved that. And again, I I think I noticed it the first time through, but it really hit home for me this time. I just felt like it was always there under the surface. Yeah, I thought some of those passages where Aubrey was seeing his own life in a totally new way because of Iris were so powerful. Yeah. I think a lot of the times for me when I was the most frustrated with Iris was the way that she treated Aubrey because you just love him because he is just, he is willing to make any sacrifice for Iris and for Melody. And, you know, I think that those are the times when I got the most frustrated with Iris is just, I felt Mm -hmm. like we just took him for granted and just didn't treat him the way that he deserved to be treated, yet he still continued to stay. And she acknowledges how smart he is and that he probably could have gotten into any college he wanted. And yet he chooses not to do that because he wants to be there for their daughter. It reminds me of Concrete Rose a little bit, just the choices that we see Mav making for his kids. There are a lot of differences, but that part just kind of reminded me of that book. So what about you, Sarah? What was something that worked for you? Oh my goodness. So I'm going to talk about the audiobook experience because I like, I do think that I might've been a little bit more grounded in the story if I would have read the, read the paper book, but the audiobook experience is masterful. There are voices for every character and it's almost like listening to a play. It reminded me of, you know, back when radio was a thing and the entertainment was the reading of a story, but like acted out, you know, by voice actors. And this is what this experience was for me. And especially Sabie's voice and Po'boy's voice, like here, the actors who portrayed them in the audiobook, they're just fantastic. And I, especially Sabie, I think that reading probably the, the way that that voice actress gave Sabie her voice, and especially when she was talking about growing up in Tulsa and all the things and the racism that she had to deal with and how strong she was. The actress who read her part was just amazing. And then of course, Bonnie Turpin is in there, which is, she is a podcast favorite. She reads 
Melody's part. And so I just think that the audiobook experience was the thing that worked the most for me because it gave me this really deep connection with the characters and their voice because of the way that the voice actors acted it out. So I, and I mean, it's, it's Jacqueline Woodson's words brought to life. And I just, I love that so much. And I, if I think if I reread it, I'll listen to it again because it just was an amazing experience. Oh, that makes me want to listen. Yeah, I think you would really enjoy it, Jen. And I believe Woodson reads the... Yeah, she reads the omniscient parts, yes. Yeah, so I loved that, too, that I felt like she, as the author, had some voice in there, too, which I think is really neat. Yeah, it reminded me, and again, I didn't, I wasn't able to listen to all of it, so I did some back and forth, but it reminded me when I first started listening to audiobooks, one of the ones that was recommended to me was George Saunders' Lincoln and the Bardo. And mm. it reminded me of that in some ways. And like you said, Sarah, that one had a full cast of characters. It was one that was recommended to me. And sometimes that was disorienting, actually. So especially because I was new to audiobooks in a lot of ways when I first listened to that. And so it was harder for me to understand some of the parts. But yeah, I mean, I think that when you get those different characters and they're done really well, that can do so much to enhance a story. What about you, Ashley? What's something that worked for you? So Jen touched on this a little bit with Aubrey's mom that she is such, even though in some ways she's kind of a background character compared to how well we know some of the other characters, but she's such a richly drawn character. So even though in a lot of ways she's a secondary character, I think that we see not only her and all of her strength and her determination, but we also see the boundless love that Aubrey has for her and the ways that that love enables him to be such a loving and kind and compassionate person who shares that love with Melody and with his po'boy and Sadie. I mean, so again, thinking that that relationship could be really problematic, but instead is really rich. And so I think we see the ways that his primary relationship with his mom enables him to have such a full life. But also we experience the loss of his mom so acutely because we see how quickly and tragically he is he loses her and also how hard that is for him. Just that realization that he doesn't have anyone anymore except Melody in the way that he had his mom. And I think, yeah, all of that is just really well done. I loved in general the exploration of individual relationships between two people. So whether it was him and his mom or Melody and Poboy or Iris and Jam. I mean, I think you get these really deep analysis of these like momentary connections that sometimes don't last and that are just these one-on-one things. And then we see, and again, that's why I think the rereading makes a lot of sense to me because you can see the richness of those connections to the broader picture. The more I got into the book, the more I could see that. But yeah, I just thought all that worked really well for me. So yeah, I think I absolutely loved and admired that relationship. I loved the way that his mom taught Iris and was like, we are going to do this and we are going to do it every day. And every time I have time off, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, her again, just her courage and her determination and her relentless decisions to pursue what needs to be done. I thought were really amazing. Well, and I thought the really interesting thing about that is in some ways she is the one who empowers Iris to leave Aubrey and Melody. And 
but but she knows that that is the right thing to do and that you have to empower the next generation but yeah the irony of all of that is really interesting to think about yes i was thinking about that as i was saying it that in some ways it's kind of tragic in what happens for aubrey and yet iris and aubrey didn't have a pathway that wasn't that pathway you know and i think in some ways we see that for all of her failings iris could not have decided not to go and then been content and and able to help with Aubrey and Melody by staying at home. So I think we saw that too, that there wasn't a way that that played out that she was going to be not toxic for them if she were to have stayed. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we each are going to share one quote, always hard to choose, and we have a lot more we could discuss here, but we wanna keep things rolling. So Sarah, what is your quote? My quote is this quotation when that Melody kind of thinks in her head and during the portion at her coming of age dance and it says look how beautifully black we are and as we dance i am not melody who is 16. i am not my parents once illegitimate daughter i am a narrative someone's almost forgotten story remembered and i just thought that that quote to me really talks about the point of this story and because it really melody is this person that the whole story is kind of revolving around because there was this choice in the beginning and and Sabi, you know that either the that melody could not have been born you know so there is because because Sabi really didn't want iris to have the baby so or to have melody so i think that it's just this whole culmination of what the story really means and that and melody realizing her worth and her, that the way that the narratives of all these other characters really have impacted her story. And I just, I love that for her. And also hearing Bonnie Turpin read it in the audiobook, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep beating my drum for this <laughs> because it's so good. I mean, but she just really, it just like hits you right in the heartstrings because you just really feel this kind of, I guess, you know, 360 moment for Melody. And I really thought that was a great and powerful quote. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. What about you, Jen? What's yours? So I have several listed well, here, <laughs> as always. <laughs> oh, no. But I'm going to go with this one. Malcolm says to Melody, today you got introduced to society, Melody. Shoot. I love that people think the world is even halfway ready for what we about to bring. And I love two things about that. First, I love Every character in this book has parts of themselves that the others don't understand. And we see Aubrey thinks he has Malcolm and Melody figured out and that they are in a relationship. Iris at one point is talking to Melody and she thinks that Melody doesn't know that Malcolm is gay. And Melody, we learn in this chapter, is very aware of Malcolm's sexuality and that they are just super close and that they are best friends and that they really understand each other. And so I just love that even though so much is revealed about the, these characters to us, there are parts of each other that they understand a lot, but they don't understand everything. And I think that's true to life. I don't think we ever know every facet of someone we love and we love them anyway. The other thing I love about this is just that sense of hope and that sense that each generation is changing the world from the last and making more things possible. It's funny because this is technically historical fiction. So I had to keep my, reminding myself of that because so much of it feels very resonant right now. But just that sense that there are still a lot of challenges 
but there's also so much progress and so much power and so much that is getting better and opening up with each generation in this book. And the fact that it's historical fiction means that the generation between has probably done that as well. And so I just love, it acknowledges tragedy, it acknowledges trauma, and yet it does not lose that sense of hope that underlies it all. So I really loved, I love that quotation. Yeah, I love that. And I loved Melody and Malcolm's relationship so much. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so complicated. And and that's one of the things I think this book does really well is it embraces the complication of all of these people. Ashley, what about you? What's a quote that you want to discuss? So we've talked before about how in a lot of ways, Iris, I did have a lot of frustrations with, but I am going to choose a quote from her section because it really struck me both what she experiences in this moment. I think we see in this moment that she experiences empathy for not only Aubrey, this passage is when she realizes that he was affected by 9-11. And so we see that, but it's also this connection to the things that she had turned her back toward her whole life. So suddenly she's remembering Sabie's feelings and about Tulsa and all these things that she always had kind of said, that's not my story. But in this moment, she connects to that. So that's why I chose this. And the quote I wanted to share is, she ran until she couldn't see, ran until smoke and dust and ash covered her, until the police stopped her from getting any closer. And then she collapsed. At the corner of 13th Street and Broadway, she collapsed. And all around her, people were screaming and running and collapsing. Some deep and buried DNA ballooned into a memory of her mother's stories of Tulsa. She had felt this, and Sabie felt it. And she knew that as her child watched on the television in her classroom, she too felt the embers of Tulsa burning. And I just absolutely loved that because I felt like it connects, like Jen was saying about the trauma and the connections between generational trauma and also the way that personal grief and personal trauma can connect to a larger community grief and community trauma that we see that in this moment. And also, I thought that it was just such a telling moment of Iris because in this passage, this is the moment, you know, it's describing here the moment that she's experiencing it. But right before that, she is remembering this moment and feeling so sorry for how she could have been better and she could have been more for Aubrey and she's sorry that she wasn't. And like we've talked about, I mean, I think in a lot of ways she could not be. And I think that we see that, that she's doing her very best, even though sometimes that's painful for Aubrey and it's painful for Melody. But in this moment, she is able to remember her connection to when she first realizes she lost him and how devastated she is at the possibility that that could be true. And I think we see that also that Aubrey is such a, he is such a grounding character. And so even though Iris is always looking away, in a lot of ways, she's tethered to him and she's tethered to Melody, even though she wants to be looking in another direction. And so I think we see that here too, that she's realizing that connection and how deep rooted it is. Yeah, it was the Tulsa stuff. It resonated the first time, but I think because there's been so much conversation since it's the 100th anniversary is a weird word, but it's been 100 years since Tulsa happened. And since I read this the first time, I've become so much more aware of that incident and the way it was erased from our history. And every time it was mentioned in this book, I just 
yeah, I, I just got that sense and just there was a depth there that I didn't have the first time I was reading it. And just thinking about what that means and the way we have to tell those stories and the way we have to continue thinking about it and acknowledging what actually happened. And so, yeah, I love that you picked this quotation. I think it's so, so powerful. So we want to move on to our pairings. As we always do with book club, we want to each recommend a book that we think fits nicely and just explain a little bit about why we chose it. Jen, what's your choice? I had a lot of trouble picking this. So part of me wanted to look, I, I've read a lot of great nonfiction recently that I felt connected, but I chose ultimately a fiction book that we talked about in a book club episode previously. And I chose Tommy Orange's There, There, because I think there are so many connections to, well, first they both center on sort of a, a ceremony that is important to in there, 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 it centers on a powwow. And in this book, it's a coming of age ceremony. The scope there is different in the number of people involved, but I felt like both had something that was really important and, and symbolic to these families. I think both books cycle through different perspectives. So you're not limited to one person's point of view on what's happening. But the reason I ultimately chose there, there is because I think it also does such a great job at portraying the depth of generational trauma and of systemic racism and of the way that things that happened long ago are still very much in our present and determining how we behave and the choices that we make. And both books are beautifully written. I think the more I thought about it, the more I kept seeing all of these parallels between, they're about different communities. There, there is about the indigenous community in America and obviously, Jacqueline Woodson's book is about the Black community in America, but I think there are some threads there that are quite similar. So I can't remember what episode number that was. We'll episode put it in the show notes. <laughs> oh, thank you. Sarah is on it. So yeah, I think if you go back and listen to that episode, some of the conversations that we're having are very similar, the way that they highlight different events that maybe we haven't thought about as much as we should have. So Tommy Orange is there, there is my pick. Great. And that's a great pairing. I loved that one so much. Mm -hmm. And it, it is one, and I think this will be true of this one as well, that stays with you. Yeah, definitely. Even if you can't say, oh, these are the things that happened. It's that sense of the book and the way it makes you feel that, yeah, yes. I think really. That's and the what movement stuck through me. time, I think also mm -hmm. like the way that you're always moving toward these events. There's mm -hmm. a feeling yes. of that and that some of those are really great and some of them are really tragic, but you're always moving toward them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that in both books. Sarah, what about you? What's your pick? So my pairing is a book I read quite quite some time ago, but that I absolutely loved. And it is Britt Bennett's The Mothers. And the reason I chose this one is I feel like the format is very similar there is that there are alternating perspectives and then there is this third person or third there it's actually people the mothers but there is a third person omniscient narrator kind of telling us some things that are happening in this community and like bread at the bone this also centers around a young pregnancy nadia she she gets pregnant by the local pastor's son there is a cover up and that there are all these secrets. And, but like really what I thought it, how it applied to Red at the Bone is it's this story of relationships, good relationships, bad relationships, people who are making choices that affect people that are not just them. And 
very, it's an emotional story and you come to really get frustrated with some of the characters and you really love some of the characters. And I just thought it was very similar in structure to Red at the Bone. I think it is more narrative driven than, than Red at the Bone, but it, I think there are some similarities. So that's why I chose Britt Bennett's The Mothers. And Britt Bennett also is an author whom I love. I trust her and just like Jacqueline Woodson. So I also thought that was another reason it was a good pairing for me. Yeah, I think that's a great. I do too. I think it's a great fit. And I absolutely love that book. And another one like They're There that has really stayed with me that I think resonates, has a really deep Mm -hmm. resonation. Ashley, what is your pick? I wanted to share one that I think is a good kind of a one-off read for this one. So this is a young adult historical fiction novel. I have shared about it some before I talked about it in a bookish check-in and I also have done a book review on it. So I've talked about it a little bit on the pod, but this is Randy Pink's Angel of Greenwood. So in some ways, this is very different. It is young adult. It is, it moves in a different way. It is more plot driven, but I think the reason that I wanted to connect it is because it explores very deeply the Greenwood massacre that took place in Tulsa. And it does it in, Randy Pink just does such a great job of creating and crafting these characters. Isaiah and Angel are the two main characters. And in a lot of ways, it is a love story. It's a romance of these two teenagers falling in love in Greenwood in Tulsa in the um, metropolitan, very successful black community that's there at Greenwood, and them going to school together, coming to know each other, and falling in love. But that romance is set right before the massacre occurs. So even though in a lot of ways it is just two young people falling in love with each other, there is a feeling for the reader of this incident coming that the characters do not know. So there's a lot of that ominous feeling you're counting down in the book toward the incident occurring, and yet they don't know what's coming. But I think that what I really love about it and what I do think also connects to Right at the Bone is that Randy Pink does nothing to shy away from the atrocity that occurred and how horrific it was in scale, both on the individual mm. level of loss and also the trauma for the community there in Greenwood and the larger Black community in, in America. She doesn't shy away from that at all, and yet it is a profoundly hopeful book. And that's what I love about this one, too. Just like that quote that you shared, Sarah, about the coming-of-age ceremony for Melody and mm-hmm. and your quote too, Jen, about how she's like, you know, people can't even imagine what what we have to offer. That there's just this feeling in the book that both these characters, Isaiah and Angel, the way that each of them come to fruition and are so much more than they knew they could be because of this horrible thing that happens. That is really remarkable. And then also the way that the community comes together after the massacre and the way that they find their way forward is just infinitely hopeful. And so that's why I loved it. And I think that's why it's a great fit. And I cannot say enough about why I think that that is such an amazing book and also just such an important one. Like Jen said about the Tulsa race riots that for so long our culture has worked 
to erase them. And so I think what I loved about that book is that it is very accessible for young people. It is great for the classroom. It would be a great one to teach. And yet it also does both a great job of showing the historical moment and how hopeful we can be about our pathway forward. And I think that's important for kids to have both parts of that. So again, that's Randy Pink's Angel of Greenwood. I want to read it so badly. I do too. That's what I was just thinking. I can't believe I have not picked it up yet because Ashley's reviews since the beginning have been so glowing that I I really want to read it. I can't wait for y'all to read it so we can talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think there were a lot that came to my mind with this book. I think it pairs nicely with a lot of books that are also amazing reads, but that one I wanted to share because of the historical connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to wrap up, we are going to share our bookish hearts just really quickly. So Sarah, what? how many bookish hearts? This is an easy five bookish hearts for me. What about for you, Jen? I think we're going to be redundant here, but yes, five for me as well. <laughs> then yes, we will round out with five <laughs> for me as well. I thought it was a phenomenal book. And like we talked about before, I really admire how much she accomplishes in such a short book. So yeah, five, five hearts for me for sure. Okay, well, we hope you've enjoyed this discussion and we look forward to talking with you on social media about this book. You can still join us for our book club discussion on Instagram. And we wanna wrap up today with our Give Me One. And our Give Me One topic today is a beauty product. This is perhaps a strange topic for us, but um, it's one that came <laughs> our way. So it's a beauty product you cannot live without. Jen, what's one that you cannot live without? So this is not going to sound very glamorous, but I'm turning 45 this year. And so I have reached the the age where I need products with retinol. So it doesn't really matter what. <laughs> I have it in a lot of things, but my dermatologist says retinol is necessity. It is not preventing me from getting creases and lines and wrinkles, but it is helping a little bit. So yeah, anything, <laughs> I sound desperate, anything with retinol. But <laughs> <laughs> But that is where I am. The stage of life, retinol is a necessity. <laughs> and I have not learned that trick yet, but think that I could benefit as well, friend. So I'm going to have this discussion. Sarah, what about you? <laughs> well, I too used, I have started using retinol for some fine lines of aging, but mine is going to be moisturizer with sunscreen. I'm, I'm like religious about getting sunscreen on my face especially but i i found this sunscreen or sorry this moisturizer with sunscreen that i love and i i wear it every day it is la roche posay double repair face moisturizer that sounds great sarah i think that's so important my neither my like foundation that I use nor my moisturizer has it anymore. And I had something a while ago that I kind of got away from that did have it. But for me, I have found if I don't have it in my makeup, if I'm wearing makeup, I'm not likely to wear sunscreen. So there are lots of days that I don't wear makeup if I'm not going into work. And on those days, I don't mind to just put on sunscreen, but I often don't do both. So yeah, I think that's a great tip because that's an easy way to make sure that you're covered. It is important. What about you, Ashley? What is your beauty product you can't live without? So one that's been new for me, I have been using more and more products by a company called Ethique. And they do, they're out of New Zealand and they specialize in things that have no, they're ethically sourced products, they're fair trade. And also they make sure that all of their packaging is compostable. And so they're just very careful about what they make and 
that it's not negatively impacting the environment, but they also have just really great products. And so I first started with their shampoos and I've tried a couple of different of it's a shampoo bar. And so you use it like a soap bar, but it is made for your hair. And those have been very effective for me. But the one I have really loved recently is the Bliss Bar. And it is a face wash. I mean, it's for your face. And I, the bar lasts forever. And it, I can remove my makeup with it. So again, yeah, so just like the moisturizer with sunscreen, I'm the same about my face wash at night. Like I want, if I'm wearing makeup, I want the face wash to get the makeup off and also clean my face. And the Bliss Bar does that. And I cut it into like four parts. I started using the first part a long time ago and I still am using that first part. So I'm a big fan because I found that it's been good for my face and also that it's long lasting. So, well, we hope that you've enjoyed this discussion. We can't wait to hear what you think of Jacqueline Woodson's Red at the Bone. And you can let us know about that on social media at Unabridged Pod. And again, we're active on social media. We love keeping up with you on there. And you can join any of our really great communities like our buddy read discussions and our book club discussions by finding us at Unabridged Pod. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 